Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler, and I'd like to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience. Thank you for hanging out with me on the podcast. Hey, so I'm uh, coming to you from the underground. Now, uh, if you don't know what that is, it's actually just like a segment of, uh, <laughs> of my basement. But man, it, it is totally cool. I've got old like stage lights. Uh, and operational, right? Stage lights and albums on the wall, all this cool stuff, a ton of books. And so it's like a man cave, but it's turbocharged. <laughs> so it's just this really cool space. And this is where I do the podcast from and uh, call it the underground because technically it is the, it, it is underground. Anyway, so uh, what have I got going on here? I am tangled in a web of cords. Hold on. Goodness. Okay. Um, yeah, so on the podcast today, I have a conversation with Joyce and River Higginbotham. And I think it's really a great conversation where we talk about the structure of belief, the structure of organized religion, and... Um, just a whole bunch of stuff. Now, if you're not familiar with Joyce and River Higginbotham, totally get it, man. They're actually pagan, <laughs> but they've got such a good grip on how we structure and form our beliefs. Now, the thing that really led them to me was they've got this book called Christo Paganism, and it's available on Amazon and all that kind of stuff. It's really a great book because it talks about the blending of Christianity and paganism, but but it's much deeper than that. It talks about the structure of belief and where I, our ideas about God really come from and so I think it's really a valuable book. So if you're somebody who's kind of struggling with the path, struggling with the journey, really trying to find yourself, I would highly recommend the book Christopaganism by Joyce and River Higginbotham. Now, you're going to hear them in just a few minutes have a conversation with me about the book, about their own ideas, about their own beliefs. And I think it's really going to be very beneficial. You know, one of the things that I'm going through at this stage of my spiritual journey is the reconciliation of my firm foundation in Jesus Christ uh, and the blending of so many ideas that really resonate deep within uh, within me as a human being. And I, I can't help but think that there's a lot of you out there that feel exactly the same way. You have a firm faith and firm foundation in who you believe Jesus is and, and what he did and what it all means. You have a firm structure in that. Uh, but also you have these, I guess, other ideas that deeply resonate within you. And to reconcile the two, and I think it's because of error. Um, I think that it's because of religious structure that was designed to 
really oppress instead of liberate. Um, a lot of us think that those blendings don't really go well together. But I think in this conversation you're going to see that Joyce and River disagree with that. And they think that Christianity is harmonious with a lot of different ideas. Honestly, I, 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 I really kind of believe that. I'm experiencing that. So let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Joyce and River Higginbotham as we talk about, they've got three or four books out and you can find them on Amazon and all that kind of stuff. But this one, this particular conversation really focuses on their book, Christopaganism. All right, man, let's jump into that conversation. Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler, and I want to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience. And uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out with me on the podcast today. So I've got um, a couple of guests with me today. They're highly respected teachers uh, among pagan circles and other kind of various interfaith communities. They've been a part of organized local and national uh, pagan gatherings. They've appeared on uh, television and radio and uh, now today on this podcast. Um, and they've also uh, authored several books, Paganism, An Introduction to Earth-Centered Religions, Paganism, A Guide to Personal Self-Transformation, and Christopaganism, uh, An Inclusive Path. <clears throat> Welcome to the experience, Joyce and River Higginbotham. How are you guys doing? Yeah, me too. I uh, I'm so glad. I know uh, w- what the listeners don't know is we've been trying to get together for a little bit here. So I'm really glad that uh, that we could finally make it happen. So sitting next to me, I have this incredibly interesting book um, that you guys authored, which is the Christo Paganism um, uh, book. And you know, we talked previously um, a little bit about my experience and your experience and both of us have come from really a, um, a somewhat of a structured um, I guess Christian experience uh, and we've gravitated away from that experience now we're perhaps we've chosen different paths but but we understand what it means to be in search of of God or the divine. Um, and so as I'm reading Christopaganism, I've read it twice now, uh, I'm wondering how did the, how did the inspiration for this book, wh- wh- where did that come from? Well, uh, this is River. The, uh, we found that uh, as we were, Joyce and I both, as you mentioned, have roots in Christianity, and then we've been uh, exploring in our later 20s uh, uh, different sorts of religions, including uh, we met pagans, and we had we were part of a pagan community, uh, and we were helping people connect who were pagan, because uh, sometimes that's a little hard. And what we, uh, with this range of uh, friends that we had who were pagan and, and still friends who were Christians, 
uh, we noticed that uh, some of the pagans thought that the idea of combining Christianity and paganism was just the dumbest thing they'd ever heard of, and didn't see that how that could possibly be the case or be reasonable in under any sense. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we had we knew people who were uh, Christian, and some of whom were Christian and pagan. Uh, in varying degrees and at the same time. And then uh, also uh, through our own journey, we had begun to study uh, development, human development, uh, faith development, um, and we realized that, that there, are, there are stages of, of, of faith and stages of uh, personal growth and development that people naturally go through. And depending upon... Or the way the way to address the the apparent paradox is that uh, depending upon where you are in your development, uh, the idea of crystal paganism could make a lot of sense or could be very uh, puzzling, uh, even offensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, you know I think that. The, the hard part for some people is that the the rigidity of, um, I don't know, it's so strange for me as I've been on this journey to discover what, um, what most Christians today in the U.S. think is black and white. Um, that's actually a, uh, an evolution or lack of, perhaps, of really what's colonialized or, or, or American Christianity, because throughout the history of the Christian, um, I guess, movement, for lack of a better word, you know, those, those early years, and I'm talking uh, first five, six, maybe even thousand years of Christianity, you didn't have all the rigidity, and there were lots of variations of that. And so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting when you talk about the blending of, of uh Christianity and paganism, because um, the truth is, you know, and I, it is funny, but I'm not trying to be funny, but Christians have been stealing from paganism for, you know, <laughs> the entirety of its existence. So the blending of the two, um, maybe, in, maybe in an American sense, might seem puzzling, but throughout history, um, this has been happening for a while. D- do you think that's true? Oh, I, I totally agree. In fact, I think it's really too late to worry about the blending of the two. It's happened, uh, particularly, as you mentioned, in the early years, the early centuries. But that's not a phenomenon unique to Christianity or paganism. I mean, religion overall um, is, has been a creative endeavor uh, for humanity. And as um, times change... Needs, wars, famines, diseases, plagues happen, political alliances shift, religion reforms, remakes itself. So, you know, if religion is an attempt to understand our who we are and what the nature of the world is and whether there is a divine or a sacred component and how we fit into that, then that's always going to shift as our understanding of those things changes over time and our, the development uh, of a given culture, its worldview, the particular um, life circumstances and challenges that surround people. So um, that happens constantly. Syncretism, blending, growing, changing, 
the Christianity that children today are going to be practicing really doesn't have much relationship to the kind I was raised with mm. or the generation before that. Everybody recreates Christianity every generation. But it happens so seamlessly and we're in the flow that we don't notice it. I mean, even the fundamentalist movement, correct me if I'm wrong, was developed in 1905, mm. right, with the articles of the of the fundamentals. I forget the name of the... Um, the book or the article that he wrote that in the gentleman's name, I have it somewhere in my notes. And that took off as, as a phenomenon <clears throat> in American Christianity that hadn't existed before. That was brand new. And so even that, that we think is, is the most old and, and time-honored, is, is only a century old. So it, we're always creative within religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's. I think it's really hard for, um, especially people from maybe maybe your background and mine as well, um, where we were raised with like doctrinal statements, um, absolutes, and any variation of those was um, presented as almost like a what you know. And I'm I'm sure you guys are familiar with the term backsliding, but you know, it, it was presented as a as a falling away of the faith. One of the things that, <clears throat> excuse me, I found interesting as I um, begin my, um, I guess, gravitational um, fading from from that from those ideas is just all the variations within Christianity that there've been. I mean, they're still arguing about whether Jesus is divinity, you know, three hundred years after his uh, crucifixion. And the Apophatic Fathers and, and various groups like that who really said, you know, God is more of a mystery. And then so many within uh, the early Christian uh, movement, and I think it's coming back now with like Christian witches and things like that. They had all kinds of magical practices and even some of them were earth-based Christianity. So do you see in, in your work a resurgence of, of Christians Blending, obviously, I think you do, but I'm just curious. Blending their faith with other ideas. Christians, in particular, you're asking about. Yes. Um, I think, as a whole, the world has become much more global and open to things in my lifetime than when I was born around the beginning of around 1960. So. Um, just as a comparison from then to now, I would say Christians are far more open. Mm-hmm. It's going to vary from denomination to denomination. Wouldn't you agree, River? Yeah. Like, Unitarians have always been much more open. That that's They're, they're founded on a principle of inclusiveness and open-mindedness, whereas others are going to be uh, more strict or fundamental. So I think that's going to vary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think, go ahead. I think the yeah the uh, the culture itself has has been going through quite an emotional surge since 1960, and the 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 trends of that surge uh, have led some people to kind of anchor into their the faith where they they were raised, and it has caused others to uh, chafe at that and perhaps leave or. Perhaps Backslide, as you mentioned, or perhaps just uh, go—you know—break with break with the, the prior 
uh, views and, and go exploring. Uh, I think when when we were uh, uh, you asked earlier about uh, why we wrote Crystal Paganism, we prior to that we'd written a book about paganism just in general because there was there seemed to be a lot of misunderstanding and confusion about what is pagan, what are pagans, what do they do. So we wrote a, an introductory book that helped us uh, explain to anybody without any uh, prior knowledge. What is a pagan? What is this neo-pagan movement like? Uh, what are the what are these earth traditions about? And then we we wrote a, a second book, which was the, the pagan spirituality, which looked at how uh, human growth and development could view paganism and Christianity and and the, the questions of faith in general uh, differently depending on stage development. And then that was really the foundation of when we heard the complaints amongst pagans about how could you possibly be Christo-pagan. And those would be pagans who had, you know, let's say they left they left their Christian roots like a bad divorce, and they were really pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then there were also people who were just kind of more open and inclusive, and those people could, uh, you know, get, get along with their ex. Uh, and, and continue their own development. And so Christopaganism tried to lay uh, out a, a, the ways that that could be true in both senses. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I think within a, very, a lot of religious groups, there are sectors of those groups that are very fear-based, and certainly Christianity doesn't have any shortage of those. And, and I think that that's where those kind of those pissed off, angry feelings come from, because um, I, I would admit to my own path of bitterness for a bit there. I didn't necessarily blame God or, or Jesus for that, but um, I had a great deal of disdain for just the fear, you know, that that was so much a part of my faith. And uh, I think that a lot of people just, they, when they get to that point where they're like, okay, I can't keep living with the idea that I'm going to go to hell every time I, you know, uh, have road rage or whatever. I, I think that, that, and plus in a lot of ways, you know, Christianity, and this is going to make people upset, but <clears throat> there's a lot of ways that Christianity just doesn't work. Um, you know, some of the faith healing and, and um, sometimes prayers don't get answered and, after a while, I think people just, they do get angry, and I think that bitterness is part of the path, but at some point in time, I guess you, you sort of have to, I don't know, open up to new ideas without, without fear being present. I don't know, what, what was that journey like for you guys? denominations, within paganism, it's within political parties, 
It's within capitalism. It's within socialism. Uh, within fascism, it's with, within every kind of ism and belief system and way of being. It's it's a it's a developmental space that people occupy. It's a worldview, and sometimes it's even based on life conditions. And so sometimes you're there because you have to be there to survive, or it's the pressure that the the society or your intimate grouping is putting on you too. But it's not a problem inherently within Christianity, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Well, so what is the mythic literal mindset? Can you explain that or define that? It, it's a word uh, that was actually developed by James Fowler. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, his book, Stages of Faith, is used quite frequently uh, in um, training for ministers at various ministry schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, of all denominations, I know the Unitarian Church uses it as well. And he out, he outlines uh, some broad stages that map roughly to you know Piaget and other sociologists, uh, psychologists who have mapped human development. And he has six main stages, which we don't need to really go into in detail. You can find it online. But um, there, the second level is called mythic literal and it's where the mythos or the the story of meaning within your nation church corporation is taken as literally true it's a statement of fact sometimes it's a statement of history things historically happened um it's black and white thinking what are the descriptions can you think of it river it's um it's it's very very conformist. Uh, yeah. The uh, the the stories and the uh, are are under, understood to be uh, true uh, should not be questioned, uh, and that's some of the some of the fear based stuff can come around if if uh, if a person as they're growing and edging perhaps out of out of mythic literal toward uh, the, uh, a more advanced stage like uh, Fowler called it synthetic conventional was the next. But to grow to grow out of mythic literal because it it feels confining. It, it doesn't feel life giving as much as it once did. I mean, there's a lot of comfort to have a story and to know what the story is and to know what your what your uh, salvation looks like and what you must do to uh, uh, achieve that. I mean, it, it's a really comfortable space to be as long as you're developmentally. Uh, aligned with that, but if your if your development has gone beyond that, then you, then there's the cognitive dissonance. There's 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 discomfort that arises. For some people, they just live with the discomfort. For others, they they break with what was for them their mythic literal truth. It's really interesting, Craig, that you mentioned the things of Christianity that you find didn't work because what you identified was like prayers don't always get answered, and these these things don't happen like they claim they will. There, there's a uh, concept in mythic literal that's called reciprocity. And in reciprocity, it means if I do this, then my reward is that. I do follow these commandments, I'm going to go to heaven. If I don't get saved or I do these sins, I'm going to go to hell. If I pray to God, God's going to answer the prayer. If I pray in this way and call on the Holy Spirit, I will have a healing in this manner. This equals that. I do this, I, God will reciprocate. 
that is the fundamental part of the literal, mythic literal mindset. It doesn't matter if you're Christian, Muslim, Republican, or Democrat. Whatever your ism is, reciprocity is very much a piece, <clears throat> a part of that, foundationally. <clears throat> so when you realize that reciprocity doesn't work, it doesn't always exist, that creates a huge internal conflict, part of that cognitive dissonance. When we only move on from one stage to the next because the prior stage becomes uncomfortable and it cannot answer the questions that we're currently asking. It can't see that far. Its horizon ends here, and our horizon is now looking beyond that. That stimulates the growth. Also, up to this level of faith development, according to Fowler, the uh, locus of authority is external. So you look to external authorities to tell you what is true. The Bible, your pastor, your preacher, your Sunday school teacher, um, maybe even your government. You know, everything. everything's external, telling you how to live and what the rules are. And you just follow the rules and the reciprocity takes effect. Part of the break from mythic literal involves a break from external authority and developing and shifting to internal authority. That's huge, and it's hugely uncomfortable. And for everybody around you in your faith community looking at that, they're going to call this, according to James Fowler, they're going to label you as having lost your faith. Mm. And really, you're just moving on into the next space, horizon of uh, perspective, that your, respect, your perspective is broadening. That's all that's happening. Scary. <laughs> yeah. So, and I've and I've noticed this with a lot of spiritual paths, um, including early Christianity. Um, th- there was a great deal of emphasis on listening to, I guess that voice or that um might even call it intuition or feeling um within there was a there's a great degree of um well, well just following that voice and you realize that that's that's quite a departure from uh, a lot of the christianity that we have today which is so based on external um i guess truths for lack of a better word so, so that following that inner voice, that becomes, for everyone's spiritual path at some point, that becomes, I guess what we're saying is that becomes very important, even though that's a hard step to make. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think it's, uh, it's relevant to look at the, the history of Christianity. If you go way back, uh, there were preachers who taught and they taught verbally, and they taught to individuals or in, or small congregations, and or they wrote occasionally wrote letters that all got you know, recorded and uh, put into the canon. Uh, but the uh, that was, you know, that was before there was uh, the printing press had been invented. Before Bibles were printed in the vernacular. I mean, you have to you have to move up through to Martin Luther's time before uh, a Bibles existed and B. Uh, printing them in German instead of Latin became a thing, and you know, beyond that, you know, we are we are now in this in this culture in this century living with you know all of the all of the written text 
are available to any one of us and to uh, to understand, to read, to take in and make our own interpretations or, or you know, look for the deeper meaning. But the uh, in the past, there was not that personal access to the whole story and, and the ability for us to personally examine it. And I think, I think that that's a, an interesting thing to remember about present, current American cultural Christianity is that it, it's about, uh, there's a lot of personal uh, agency that we have to, to figure out what's going on for ourselves. If you look at Christianity more globally, some parts of in the globe, some parts view it uh, like we do, and other parts are really kind of still more like back in the medieval times, where yeah, it, it's about listening to what uh, what the priest is saying more than uh, and, and and hearing the parables and following the stories and living according to that. Now, at that point, your inner your inner voice resonating with the stories, resonating with what you're taught. Uh, you know, that's a very congruent comfortable, probably more mythic literal than not uh, perspective. But here here in the in Western civilization, particularly in the US, you know, we've got all this personal uh, uh, agency and power and you know from the nineteen sixties one of the big cultural shifts was, you know, the, the me the me generation, the uh, you, know, you know down with down with the establishment and up with up with the individual and the flower power and all of the hippie movement, and all of that stuff was very much a blossoming of personal power, uh, personal authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know in my own, you know, my own personal experience, um, you, you know, so I became very disenfranchised with certainly corporate Christianity. Um, you know, I pastored and, and we were moderately, I guess, successful with that from a a worldly st- viewpoint but um you know it, it it was a business and it just became uh where i i became less and less a spiritual teacher and more and more like a ceo would would be and so that became really unattractive to me and i and i was struggling with other things hell being a big one and so I begin to really explore outside the boundaries um, or the limitations that had been set for me and realized that throughout the history of Christianity, there'd always been these variations of ideas and beliefs and, um, and practices. And so then I begin to even dive a little further out and begin to read a lot of stuff by um, Siddhartha Gautama or Buddha and found um, his writings incredibly liberating. Uh, I love them. And then the Tao Te Ching, I, I found that to be also amazing. And then um, my wife really began to explore some of the, the concepts within um, paganism, such as uh, the Wheel of the Year and the way that we could relate it to our own personal growth. Uh, and so I just begin, we, you know, I really begin to see how blending these faiths um, while not necessarily compromising my own base was entirely possible. The difficult part in that, however, was, uh, and, and perhaps this is just because I'm not plugged in, there seemed to be a lack of um, maybe reliable resources 
to help me grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. In paganism? Yeah, in paganism particularly? Yeah. Yeah, to, 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 to facilitate that growth without... You know, because one of the things, and I just want to be completely honest, so if I'm going to trash uh, my faith, then let me trash some others, but there, there also seems to be some present within some circles. Um, now, now I, 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 I do want to say that, that not entirely, but, but present within some aspects of paganism, there does seem to be some animosity towards Christianity, and I understand it and I get it, but I don't think that it facilitates evolution. Oh, it absolutely does not. No. But people do have their own process. Moving from any kind of uh, worldview to another or stage of development to another can sometimes create a lot of hurt. Uh, mm-hmm. People who, who don't get it can say hurtful things or reject you or banish you or, uh, you know, it's a hard process anyway to move on um, and not have a community that can see that that there's something more that you you want to explore a larger horizon but they can't go there with you and then they malign you because you need that that's very very difficult so yeah I know there's some healing uh, people need various degrees some of them are able to do it gracefully and some are not Mm -hmm. more I'm running into young pagans, younger, like uh, 20, 20 years old, that were not raised Christian at all. I mean, we've, we've had so many unchurched, there's such a high percentage of unchurched in the United States now that it's not a given that people are coming into paganism from some sort of Christian denomination, like it used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? So... I mean, we, I've met many, many younger millennial-age pagans who haven't the faintest idea what everybody's so upset about when it comes to Christians. They're like, well, yeah, whatever. And then they're just off on their own journey of connecting with the earth and, and um, trying to live sustainably and, and all of these things that have to do with a personal ethic and not really anything at all to do with dogma. Mm-hmm. And like them, I get I get that because I am I myself have no interest in dogma. It's intriguing. I could sit and debate it, go over doctrine, contrast, compare, but I'm not attached to it. And um, if it helps a person frame a discussion or frame the world in a certain way so they can interact with it, that's fine. But I don't. I, I personally am not invested in any particular dogma as being true in and of itself. I mean, they're just ideas. They're just ideas about God and about the universe. And Yeah, there, there I, was a quote in, the, in, your, in your Christo-Paganism book that talked about um, if people would resist the urge to turn their ideas into God, they would then be left with the ideas whose merits would be more readily visible this is a challenging prospect, and it requires soul-searching work from everyone. In our opinion, however, it's an effort that cannot be avoided in today's world if one hopes for a sustainable and peaceful uh, future. So, 
what I guess what I'd like to talk a little bit about is um, <laughs> what, what, for you, how does your belief system, where does the construction of that come from?
Yeah, that leads us to the idea of, you know, the ideas about God not being God in that, uh, in that religion has this intuitive basis, right? It's reflecting on the fact that the sun rises and the sun sets and our life rises and our life sets. And we die, but we see that things come back in the spring and we're reborn. Uh, and you talk about Christianity stealing some of that imagery and, and the, the liturgical year from paganism. Well, that's because it's intuitive to our human experience. It's, it's the same cycle all, all throughout the year. And, but we're clothing it in different kinds of story. And that's fine. Uh, and, unless we say that the story is literally true and historically true, rather than a metaphor. Those who are familiar with Joseph Campbell's writings will recognize what I'm talking about here because he talks about this distinction a lot. And so when, when religion says, you know, Christ died and rose from the dead, we can understand that as a metaphor for the fact that consciousness is indestructible. Or we can believe that there was this person named Jesus who died and rose from the dead and this was a unique experience to him and we have to call on him for salvation and then we get into all this dogma. But when you can step back from the historic, um, literal taking of, of, of story and see it from a metaphorical point of view, it's, it was true then, it will, it's true now, and it will always be true. It's a story that's always true because it's intuitively true about our human condition. Is this making any sense? Absolutely. Yep. So, but it's an idea that if we lined up all of us, River and I were just having this discussion on our recent trip. If we I'll give you an example, if we gather, could gather together in a football field all the ideas about God that Christianity has from Catholics Amish and the Mormons, which is what I grew up with, and all of those things, and we piled them in the football field, and there they were, all of them, from all the centuries, all the beliefs about God. Would we actually have God? Right. Right? No. Would we? No, we'd have this collection of beliefs, but the beliefs themselves, the ideas, aren't God. And even if you pile them all up, and then we, okay, well, let's add in all the Jewish beliefs and Islamic beliefs and the Buddhist beliefs, let's put them all in there. All right, I really need a big stadium here. Then, or do all those things add up to whatever the divine is? Right. Probably not, right? Right. So, why are we worshiping our ideas about what we think is so? Why are we killing for that? Why are we uh, willing to punish, banish, and, and uh, make each other miserable over that? Um, Whereas the ideas themselves are, are, are true in this eternal way, I mentioned earlier, when we can step back and look at them as a metaphor. Yeah, I, you know, I think we, you know, we make everybody else miserable, but I think a lot of people are making, really literally making themselves miserable. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're afraid and they don't, they don't live with any joy or peace or, or, any real liber- you know, sense of liberty and freedom, um, and maybe they're attracted to certain aspects, and they have to deny those things. And and I'm talking about uh, I know for in my own experience, and I've talked about this in a couple of podcasts uh, throughout the entirety of my life, I've had a deep connection with nature. 
uh, plants and trees and and uh, elements and things of that of that uh, I guess uh, influence. And um, I had to really shut that down to be an Orthodox Christian because it was what it was you know. Uh, it was New Age, or it was witchcraft, or whatever. And so I literally had to deny a part of myself to line up with what what probably was a superimposed idea of God. Um, Certainly, so, you were you were uh, you were trying to conform to a particular view, a particular way of being, and and then you had taken on this responsibility to lead people in this way of being. And maybe you probably didn't feel like you had a lot of uh, latitude to color outside the line of the orthodoxy. Oh, absolutely not. No. Yeah, you couldn't. Um, And I think, you know, how how do we... and, And I know you guys have already been through this process, but there's a lot of people that are looking maybe for, you know, permission to color outside the lines or um, it, it's, it's a hard break to say, you know what, these are my ideas about God or maybe these things I'm thinking about God, maybe these aren't even my ideas, but they're somebody else's ideas, but I'm so deeply entrenched in these, it's hard to make that break. You know what I mean? It's hard to break away from that fundamentalist mentality. And there's, there's a couple layers of that, that that makes it very, very difficult. One is, um, you know, you've been taught, you've been taught that, you know, these, this is how God is, and this is how redemption works, and this is what sin is, and this is what you do, this is what happens to sinners. Um, all that's there. But then often, uh, you know, the community in our, in our world, connection and being in part of community is so vitally important. And if, if I, I can imagine being a person raised in a particular Christian church and community, my community is really important to me, and, my, and some probably my family is aligned with that community. And if I break with that, I'm breaking with more than just my idea of uh, what, what's going on between me and, and divinity. It's also what's going on between me and my mom or me and my sisters or me and my extended family. It's really difficult to, to feel like you've got to turn away from all the people that are important to you uh, because of this internal struggle that you're you're facing. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no one easy answer for every person. Um, our own internal dissonance will drive us rather relentlessly because the inner self isn't going to let us rest. Until we address that, the hounds of heaven that are coming for us, you know, and maybe taking us in a different direction than we expected, but they're 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 kind of relentless. Funny, I was raised in a Mormon tradition, and the the one there's a scripture there that's one of my favorites, and actually was part of what liberated me from within where I came from, and it's part of Joseph Smith's writings, so most people wouldn't be familiar with them in the Doctrine and Covenants, but. It says that God is the light of intelligence. Hmm. And I really believed that. And so as I continued to grow and, and, be, and, and have different perspectives open up for me, I, I tried not to panic because I thought if my intelligence is leading me in this direction and I can think it through and I can mull on it and my, between my intuition and my intelligence 
that is God. And I'll be okay. And that gave me some permission to go forward and step into the whatever realization was coming to me, either through my mind or the intuition. And I totally get when you go out into nature that you had to shut that down because it's speaking to you intuitively mm-hmm. while you're up. I mean, it's, it's, I think, because I'm kind of into quantum physics and all myself, that all pieces of matter are conscious. The atoms and molecules have their own sort of consciousness. We'll see if quantum physics ends up agreeing with us on that or not someday. But, you know, you're out there among things just as alive as you. And speaking to you on in levels, um, kind of atomic levels, you know, the, there are some scientists say that we blink on and off out of existence. Well, where do you go when you blink off? Well, I think into that more universal sea. And you're hearing all of those conversations that when you come back and you blink back on, you have to shut them off. Mm-hmm. Now, what a person does with that, of course, as we were saying, it's going to depend on your life situation. Can, are you really free to talk to everyone? You might have to pick and choose who you process this with. You might have to make choices about, you know, what I can say to and show to my family and keep those relationships going versus what I'm doing over here. Like there were things with my mom I could never talk to about. She doesn't even know I wrote books. <laughs> right. I could, it was sad, but she was so into her Mormon world and she was older and she's passed away now that there was no point in going there. And so part of it is the wisdom to know what's really the loving thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that, um, and, and um, I'm certainly in a different place now than I was then, but I, I, everything does seem to have its own level of consciousness. And, and for me, there was always um, a connection. You know, there, there was a, a, not an audible, but there was a voice in the wind. There was a, you know, a resonance between myself and, and you know, trees, Um I can remember at, right after high school, I moved out to Arizona and uh, I would often go into the desert at night because there seemed to be a kinship with just the atmosphere, you know, and, and I couldn't yeah. couldn't tell anybody that because they would think, you know, uh, they, they would call it new age. And of course, that was a dirty word. I don't view it that way anymore. But mm-hmm. how, how does one... Let's say somebody has those feelings, you know, there, there's plenty of, of Christians out there today that resonate with nature or they resonate with the with the atmosphere or they even believe somewhere deep within them that they're, you know, that they are a witch or um, they don't believe in this aspect or that aspect. I know there's I know there are mental steps that they need to take, but are there are there also some other intellectual moves that they could make to help them with their reasoning and their ideas? Well, possibly studying faith development so they don't feel so weird. Mm-hmm. Like there's some weirdo out there. And it's all, they, it, you know, that other, it happens to others all the time. Could be comforting. And you'll learn some things about yourself and the process you're going through. The Stages of Faith by James Fowler is really quite excellent. 
Ken Wilber, his writings on um, uh, um, integral, yeah. in, in, integral theory. Uh, what's that blue book called? Or the, the one that's the overview? There's a, there's a summary of Wilber's integral approach called uh, Integral Vision. Yeah, I would hide. I, I would really. Yeah, it's a simplified version of, of Wilbur's map. He's trying. Ken Wilbur, the American philosopher, has tried to create a map of human existence, and he goes across five different dimensions of it. It's it's, it, it's pretty complex, but it's very very intriguing uh, that he's collected a lot of a lot of things from a lot of sources and put them in one bucket to to. To, to look at and try to try to bring some meaning forward. Another piece is uh, Spiral Dynamics, which is a book uh, written by Don Beck and Chris Cohen, and it was authored with based on the sociological uh, studies of, of Canadian Professor Claire Graves. And um, Graves uh, did a study over many decades uh, interviewing people uh, about their beliefs, and from it, he, did, he gleaned a, a pattern. He didn't start off with a theory. He just uh, collected data and then came up with what the pattern was. But Spiral Dynamics is the book which describes this pattern of growth and development from, uh, infant, from the infant to, to, the small, to the small tribe to uh, uh, on up through uh, organized, uh, rational, rule-based societies, rule, uh, you know, societies where the individual authority is most important, and then uh, beyond that to where uh, uh, looking at the collective becomes more important. And what Spiral Dynamics uh, reveals is humans grow through all these stages and societies grow through all these stages. And when you grow up in a society, the stage that it's at or the multiple, the several stages uh, of development that are prominent right. in that society will will quickly grow you up to that stage, but then um, will resist you growing beyond it. So uh, the the sort of the culture wars we're in the middle of these days uh, is is part of the frothy confusion of having lots of different values that people are taking very strongly. Um, now, Christo paganism when we wrote the book. One of the things we did there was we said, you know, some people take this and and they stay Christian within their uh, within their family within their church, but then they on the side go explore these other things. So that's one way to be crypto pagan. It's just you know let it be two different realms of your life. And for some people that works, and for some people they really want to be more homogenous and holistic, and so they they want to jam it all together. Some some people go into paganism and drop all the Christianity eventually. And some can see the Christian story as metaphor and get the, the goodness from, from the Christian stories and add that to the goodness of, of all the pagan things that they know about, plus the experiences with nature. Um, and Craig, if, if, if I would be allowed to, to maybe blow some of your listeners' minds, I'm going to say... I think you can grow and develop and get out of the mythic literal mind space and not leave Christianity at all. Okay, Did let's you hear that. You know, I, well, I, there are places you can go where mythic literal has been left behind 
and the churches have moved on to a more global and embracing point of view. And if you really read the New Testament carefully, and if the words ascribed to Jesus are accurate, or if they were ever said, I don't know, he doesn't strike me as particularly mythic literal. No. Uh, in fact, um, there, there's several say? times whenever he kind of uh, goes against what would have been, you know, their 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 scripture, essentially. And exactly. So, you know, I, I'm not sure that he was trying to promote yet another mythic, another mythic literal view of the world. Mm. So why can't you be Christian and just mm. decide not to be mythic literal? Why not be a mythic globalist? Why not be a metaphoricist? I have a friend who is in an Episcopal church. It's extremely liberal-minded, which is odd for Episcopals, like I understand. And when they call upon her to be the scripture reader on Sunday morning, she goes up there and she reads her segment of the Old Testament. When she's done, she takes her glasses off. She's like 85 years old. And she looks out at the congregation and she says, by the way, I don't believe a word of this, just so you know. <laughs> and then she sits down. And that's fine. Right. You know, she's a free thinker. That's, that's encouraged. So it actually is possible to be a Christian. Just find the communities that have expanded their horizon beyond mythic literal, and you don't have to leave it. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Um, in fact, um, much of what um, uh, River was talking about a few moments ago is in chapter seven and eight of the Christo Paganism book, which I found the well the whole book really, but those two chapters were extremely helpful. Because when I, you know, this, the hard part about it, and hopefully this is a, a help for, um, for somebody out there, but when I first left, I didn't even know that this book actually existed because my, um, the, the, the circle that influenced me was extremely evangelical. So um, when I found out this existed, you know, I saw the mythic literal uh, aspect to um, my faith, which was, you know, I once was pretty mythic literal. And I think that I'm in a space now where I am uh, multidimensional in my faith without necessarily corrupting my base. So I, I'm still a believer in Christ um, as, as messianic, but I also am a believer in the wheel of the year. I'm a believer in... Um, that everything does have its own level of consciousness and we can relate to it. I think I probably believe even in the various uh, workings of like magic or crystals, uh, the, um, the influence of a full moon. So th there's a blending process that's beginning to happen within me, but I can't say that that was an easy move. And, you know, I'm not sure there's anything inherently within Christianity that is not okay with what you just outlined. Now, mm -hmm. orthodox doctrinal statements that human beings have identified as this, you know, number one, number two, number three, you must believe this, 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 uh, that, yes, might conflict with some of the things you've done, but I'm, I'm distinguishing that from Christianity. And the message ascribed to Jesus. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure that he... I mean, how, how can you not 
feel the consciousness of all things and be akin to that and be immersed in that and not and then calm a storm oh well it was the outside authority of god that made well maybe and maybe not maybe we can look at this from from a variety of perspectives who's who's keeping us from using broader perspectives than what we've been taught to use to look at these events so i don't think that the christianity that you're describing that you're moving into is in conflict mm-hmm. the tenets of christianity mm-hmm. and i think we're all assuming that they are and so we must leave it behind and i would i would urge people to rethink that yeah, that's a tough move to make, I think, for, for people that are involved in a mythic, literal mindset. And, and that's really, I guess, a very primitive form of faith, um, according to you know what, what I've read here in the book and, and, and other degrees as well, I guess. But learning to trust that inner voice and even God. I mean, I think one of the, one of the interesting things is we think God has enough power to, you know, I guess, uh, banish us to an eternal torment, but not enough power to intervene if we start to get off track with our belief system. I don't know. That seems. That, yeah, I, I agree with you. That that that's a, a fairly large logical inconsistency. Yeah, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Remember that mythic literal is the stage before the development of logic. When you map it to Piaget is psychological development because what comes after mythic literal is called mythic rational. Mm-hmm. So you begin to synthesize these beliefs that are handed to you as dogma and say, does this make sense? So in mythic literal, the yardstick is the Bible. And in mythic rational, the yardstick is, does this make sense? Reason becomes the yardstick. And if it doesn't match up to what reason says makes sense, Pitch it out, and then that becomes really uncomfortable with those that are still using a different yardstick. It does, yeah. Yeah. Each of the stages of development, you see, has its own yardstick. And there's one beyond reason. And that's for people to explore and discover on their own. So, um, but they're out there, according to those who have studied this phenomenon. And looking at uh, looking at different faith communities, uh, the Unitarian Universalists are a faith community which have officially made made the uh, the sources of, of divine uh, information, inspiration, are multiple sources. It could be Christian. It could be earth. Uh, it could come from earth centered things. It could come from. Uh, uh, the Quran, you know, it could, the big five. The big, it could come from the big five religions, uh, the Judeo-Christian, uh, Islamic, uh, Abrahamic trads, plus the Eastern, the Eastern ones, Hindu and, and Buddhist, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, or it could come from uh, earth-based things. So the uh, the sources of faith in Unitarian Universalists are that broad. One of the things we did in our earliest first book called uh, Paganism and Introduction centered religions, we mapped out uh, how the uh, the UUA, Unitarian Universalist Association uh, sources, uh, mapped into paganism. And that mapped pretty close. Um, I guess what I'm saying is uh, 
to go along with what Joyce was speaking to is uh, choosing how to be Christian is is an option. And there, uh, there's a, a book uh, written uh, by a pastor who I think he was a Baptist pastor who's followed uh, the, some of the philosophies from Ken Wilber, and he wrote a book called Integral Christianity. And Integral Christianity takes a look at uh, saying, how can you be Christian all the way up and down this, uh, this scale of, uh, of human development? Uh, so you might find that a, an interesting read, and maybe some of your listeners would as well. Yeah, thanks, sir. I'd forgotten about that book. That's, that's a really good one. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. I wasn't a, I wasn't aware of that uh, of that book. Yeah. So before I let you go, I I, I do have a couple of things I'd I'd like to ask you. Um, one of those is uh, Pagan Picnic in St. Louis, which you guys are very much a part of, right? Yeah, yeah. Pagan Picnic is something uh, we do, and I've been part of that since it began like mm-hmm. twenty seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a pretty safe space, isn't it, for um, somebody that might be exploring? Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. The, uh, the, the, the whole intention of St. Louis's Pagan Picnic is, is to just be a community space for people who believe in pagan uh, things or whatever they believe. It's not, it's not limited. Uh, and uh, we ask people to just show up with, you know, with a kind heart and an open mind and uh, and have some fun together. And part of the reason that we do the picnic is is networking. And part of the reason we do it is to display to uh, the folks in the St. Louis uh, region, hey, you know, here's a gathering of pagans, and they're a bunch of really uh, calm, fun-loving, music and art-oriented, friendly people. And so, so as to uh, maybe dispel dispel some fear. Just by just by being pagan and public and friendly, and we've had Christian churches turn out in mass. They, it's funny when they all wear matching T-shirts, so they all know can find each other later and not get lost to say in a booth of tie-dye T-shirts for sale or something. But um, that will come and check us out, and that and that's part of the purpose is to educate folks as to what paganism is and, and I would say back when we started it, it, that was a real issue. It was a real problem. In St. Louis, there was uh, actually um, some persecution, mm-hmm. and um, that has really died down as the society itself has become more broadly based, more open to things. And the uh, St. Louis Pagan Picnic is, you know, that's what happens in, in this region, in this area. There are uh, a lot of other pagan events, like Pagan Pride Days, occur usually in September. And then uh, there's a group I'm associated with called Circle Sanctuary uh, that, in general, offer offer welcoming. Uh, That's our dog singing. Here he goes. Yeah, offer a welcoming uh, entrance to anybody as long as you're willing to respect other people's beliefs. So. Big uh, spirit gathering, PSG. That happens in June. That's good festivals all around the country. Folks could check into that now that we have the internet and Facebook. It's so much easier to connect with people than it ever used to be. But but it's true. Pagans ha- don't put a lot of priority on buildings. Um, I heard someone call that an edifice complex that we want to avoid. So it, it's not like you can just drive down the street and find your local pagan church and join it. So it's, it's structured differently. 
than Christianity in that regard. But probably the Unitarians would be the closest. In, to yeah, that. within the Unitarian Universalist Association, there are a number of those congregations are have include people who are pagan. Uh, there's a national group called Covenant of Unitarian Universalist Pagans or Cups that uh, exists in some Unitarian churches. Um, you know, there's you know, Google Pagan or Google, Google Pagan events, uh, and you're liable to find a lot of different ways to connect within a pagan context. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the whenever we talk about paganism, of course, that's a huge umbrella. That includes a lot of different ideas, but an, an earth-based or earth-centered religion essentially uh, can you? I, I know it's hard, and I'm not asking you to give a definitive definition, but can you give a slight definition of what that is? Well, we kind of we, we began uh, talking about the, the cycle of the year. Yeah, an earth-based religion isn't isn't about what that religion worships. It's about what its liturgical year is based on. So some faiths are Christ-centered, right? So the liturgical year of Christianity uh, begins with Advent and it ends with Christ the King, and it goes so it goes through the whole year. Real uh, the wheel of their year goes through Lent and Easter and the Advent and Christmas season. And um, I think that in the Eastern traditions, they, they also follow, like, the life of Buddha and when he was born and when he was enlightened and when he died and, and, and various aspects. And I know Hinduism has a um, quite a, a liturgical year of festivals and Islam as well. Baha'is also. They follow the solar year um, of 19 months. So in, when we say earth-centered religion, we mean one that follows the seasons of the earth as its main liturgical year. It's not built around a founder or a prophet or a particular belief system, but it's based on solstices, equinoxes, and cross-quarter points, in the points in between those. Uh, so it's strictly earth-based. Wherever you live on the earth, you will have that experience, whether or not you give it any religious emphasis is, of course, up to you. But that's what we mean by Earth-centered, particularly. And then uh, paganism is a modern movement. It's, it's really uh, just that definition and is emergent as in the last 40 or 50 years. Uh, it's, uh, it stresses personal responsibility. There is no central hierarchy or dogma. And so pagans are... Uh, you, a lot of different people are pagan, but there's no... There's no chief pagan out there. Uh, you know, that kind of gives you a froth of, you know, different personalities can ride strong, uh, and, it, and the institutions of paganism are not, uh, are not well-formed. A few, a few uh, institutions exist. But then, you know, where was Christianity when it was 40 or 50 years old? Mm-hmm. Really? You know? So shall we judge paganism too harshly when it's only 40 or 50 years old? It's still finding its feet in who and what it is. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned, um, um, for instance, like Circle Sanctuary. Can you talk about, I know, River, you're really involved with that. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Sure. Uh, Circle Sanctuary is a uh, earth-based uh, church in uh, Wisconsin, uh, near the town of Barnabelt. It's a nature sanctuary, uh, physical land in a beautiful valley. Uh, they... Uh, they host uh, local 
uh, events there. People come out for full moons. People come together for a one or a three-day festival uh, at different times of the year, usually uh, around uh, the wheel of the year. They actually have a green cemetery there. Uh, so, uh, I think that might be one of the only green pagan cemeteries in the country. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it, it's, it's pretty unique in that way, and it's, they're a leader in the green cemetery uh, movement, Circle is. And then Circle uh, spends uh, quite a bit of energy uh, putting on one really uh, nationwide-focused festival called Pagan Spirit Gathering, which occurs uh, over the summer solstice in June every year. Uh, this year it'll be uh, in Missouri, uh, near uh, relatively near Rolla, Missouri. Uh, on the Internet you could look up Circle Sanctuary and Pagan Spirit Gathering and get more information. And coming to a festival like that offers a lot of opportunity to spend a week with people who are pagans or exploring paganism. It's, 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 a, it's a pretty much about my home spiritual community these days. Uh, then, but the other thing that Circle does that I think is very important is it, it reaches out uh, to, to help create more and more uh, legitimacy for paganism in the broader culture. Uh, it's working uh, to uh, support people who have uh, religious discrimination concerns or issues. There's a thing called Lady Liberty League that Circle founded 35 years ago to help uh, with uh, religious rights. Um, and then it's also uh, got a religious component, uh, educational component. Uh, there is ministry training occurring within Circle, and I've, I've been part of I've joined Circle as uh, as a minister, uh, and I'm part of the ministry training uh, process that the Circle has. Circle is very interested in social justice, and uh, and is uh, connecting with uh, people all over the country. Circle very much honors uh, people who are servicemen and women uh, in, in in our military. Uh, in the military uh, have. Uh, uh, by law in the U.S., you can't discriminate based on religion, and there are growing numbers of people who are pagans who are in the military, and so getting them uh, opportunities to express their uh, religion with it while being in the military is something else Circle's trying to support uh, that, uh, that to occur more easily for more people. Mm. And so is there a way to explore them, like online? Yeah, Circle Sanctuary, uh, if you were to Google that, you'll go, there's an extensive website. In fact, uh, the Circle Sanctuary website's got articles about uh, paganism. Selena Fox is, is the, the senior minister of Circle, and uh, she's been the driving force uh, creating Circle for the, like, the 45 years it's existed. Uh, there's really, that's a great resource. So CircleSanctuary.com is a great place to start. Okay, and then as far as you guys are, do you have a um, like a social media presence uh, that you that you favor or that you're active on? Not really. We we're just so busy with doing actually doing all these things in the community and uh, further writings and such that we we started with that and it it just kind of became a sinkhole into which we couldn't we had to extract ourselves so um no not not so much yeah <laughs> so i'm i'm and i'm glad to not really 
get too deep into it. And if somebody really wanted to get a hold of me, you can go to the Circle Sanctuary uh, website and look for the list of ministers. There's a link there. You could uh, you could send me an email, and uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to talk to anybody if they've got questions or uh, or if I can help in any way. Okay. Yeah, I I I I'm on um, you know Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff, but I'm terrible at it. So I totally get where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, it's plus it just sometimes it just gets depressing, you know, to see what everybody thinks is so important. Which whatever, that's fine. Um, okay, so and then of course all your books and stuff. I know at least um, the ones that I've seen, they're all available. Looks like they're all available on Amazon. That's true. Uh, technically, two of them are, are are no longer being printed by uh, the publisher Llewellyn. That's Crystal Paganism is officially out of print. So is Cre- Pagan Spirituality. But there are a lot of books on Amazon. They're all they're all listed. There's a great number of. Uh, Used books still in circulation. Uh, they're in libraries, uh, and the, the the first book we wrote is, is by far the most popular, a pagan uh, paganism and introduction to earth centered religions, and that's that's really a good starting point if you if your uh, listeners are curious about paganism, don't really know that much about it. Uh, it answers a lot of questions, but it's not totally simplistic either. In that uh, it's written as a workbook. It's written as a thing to help people explore. You know, is paganism something that they are or appeals to them? We ask a lot more questions there than we give answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and again, you know, just to reiterate, um, the the blending of those paths is also, you know, that's a that's a very not only is it a viable option, but it's it's one that a lot of people um, really are traversing. I think, you know, especially with the advent of like. You know, you talked earlier, the Internet, for instance. I mean, there's so much available information, it's hard to stay closed off to one system of ideas, I think. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the Internet has made made that uh, exposure to so many different ways of thinking just so prevalent that um, I think um, any mythic literal way of viewing the world is going to be, in fact, it is diminishing is spiral dynamics has been tracking um, through various means uh, their idea of how many people are at, at, at a percentage basis within say the world or like within the United States are at these some of these different levels and the landscape has changed even since they wrote the book in the 80s it's significantly shifted away from the mythic literal which was still I would say 30 percent in the United States when they wrote the book, and it's probably down to, I don't know, 10 or 20% now. And so it's continuing to fade, and other um, uh, stages are, are starting to uh, brighten on the horizon and get larger and larger and are growing more people. So when I hear poll numbers about these things where millennials are headed, there's nothing about what's in those polls that surprises me. Mm-hmm. They, because of where spiral dynamics and stages of faith would say that we're going. Right, right. One, one, of the, one other thing, too, real quick. We talked about the Pagan Picnic, and um, that's in St. Louis. Is that where that's held? Yeah, St. Louis, Missouri. It's in Tower Grove Park. Picnic is the first weekend in June each year. Uh, it's a free event in a public park. Uh, 
put on by a whole group of volunteers. There are 90 or so vendors selling uh, arts and crafts and jewelry and clothing and uh, tarot readings and uh, uh, sodas and lemon shake-ups and uh, meat, on, meat stick. on a stick. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got, we got food and great Argentinian, Argentinian uh, uh, food. And then uh, we have music, uh, bands play, uh, and we have workshops which teach different topics because uh, people are learning from all different stages. Some of them are beginners. Some of them, uh, people just want to share what they what they like and what they want to teach. Uh, they have an opening ritual, clothing ritual. Sometimes people want to get married or hand fasted yep. there, and so they have a, a, a dedicated ritual circle that stays open through the event. So it's it's a lot of what happens at a normal pagan festival, except this is in a city. It's in a park. Doesn't cost anything. Come hang out with four thousand. Friendly pagan people. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you guys are really involved with that, isn't that true? True. Uh, we've been involved. I've been involved since the beginning. So with Joyce, uh, these days I'm still part of the committee uh, that puts it on. Uh, and uh, we've got a website, uh, paganpicnic.org. We'll give you information about picnics. Oh, cool. Well, guys, thanks so much for uh, you know being on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting us. It's been a real pleasure. Well, you've yeah. been great, and I, um, I I appreciate the work that you're doing, and the, the Christopaganism book is brilliant, and um, I'm going to uh, get the other one you mentioned as well. That sounds also really intriguing. Good. Yeah. Great. So hang, yeah, hang on the line just a bit. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out, but then I want to come back and, and talk to you um, for just another minute or two, okay? Good. Thanks, everyone. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining me today. If you'll hang out, I'll catch you on the other side of the music. Um, I'll talk to you in just a minute. Hey, guys, thanks so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate I just, I, I so love that there's uh, people on the other side of this microphone, and somehow we're interconnected, and I really appreciate that. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. You know, one of the things that's been an interesting struggle for me is because of my Christian path, and um, many of you know I, I, uh, I'm an ordained minister. I was credentialed through the Assemblies of God, uh, at one time through Apostolic World Fellowship, and I've been a Christian minister for a long time. But bubbling deep within me <laughs> were these... I don't know, there were conflicts and there were ideas that deeply resonated with who I was as a person. And I had to suppress those, I had to hide those. If you've listened to any of the podcasts in the past, in the past you know that I really believe those ideas, those questions, those resonances deep within us that we suppress because of a religious idea or cultural um, uh, superimposed ideas we you know we suppress those and uh that doesn't mean that they're they've gone away they're still there and sooner or later they're going to pop up and they're going to want you to give an answer for these things that uh, really swirl and whirl about your spirit and so um i think that where i'm at in my path is i'm beginning to expand 
my heart and my spirit and my mind to the foundation of my faith is solid. The the ideas of my faith are solid. The tradition of Christianity is deeply solid within me. But that's been a pretty narrow vision. It's been narrow in a lot of ways, and I think that those are unhealthy ways. Anyway, man, I hope that this podcast has somehow kind of been helpful to you. It's 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 allowed you to expand a bit. So, yeah, I'm hopeful for that. Hey, if you if you dug this at all, man, if it meant anything to you, if you really enjoyed it, I want to encourage you to share this on your social media platforms. It really means a lot to me. It's very helpful to this podcast, and um, it's how I expand my audience. I'm at a time and phase in my life. I'm a 50-year-old dude, right? I'm, I'm at a time and phase in my life where uh, I, I'm, I'm no longer in the mood to beg for people to listen. So you're not going to find a lot of sponsored ads or any from the Black Sheep Experience. Um, and so you're it. You are the path between me and people who might enjoy uh, the things that are presented on this podcast. So I really do appreciate your help. Also, you can find The Black Sheep Experience on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Honestly, I'm not super um, active on Twitter. I'm going to try to do better at that. It's not really a New Year's resolution, but I am going to try to do better at that. And... uh, Certainly on Facebook and Twitter, man. Jump on there and follow the Black Sheep Experience podcast. Share it. Let the sphere of your influence know that this thing exists. And as always, man, let me know what you thought of the podcast. God bless you guys. Done. (laughs) 